Today in the Marshall Pro Podcast, we're going to finally get to part two of your week in IndyCar listener Q&A episode. All brought to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets, USA. Good thing, questions we have for part two aren't so much fixated on any particular event. Uh, they're leaving the doubleheader in St. Louis recently or this weekend's Mid-Ohio event. Actually just finished first and only practice session of the weekend. Just filed that report. Got a hour and a half-ish, hour 15 window before qualifying starts. So I'm just going to try and get to as many of your questions as I can. And then I genuinely have to stop and start covering qualifying here for good old racer. So uh, going to blast into things here momentarily. Going to share that we did finally get the Silly Season piece up in live. It's on the interwebs here as of Saturday morning. So you might breeze through that if you haven't already. Some good little nuggets in there. Highly optimistic things about how many cars we might indeed have on the grid to play with next season. Can't go into any specifics on this yet. One note from home before we get going. No, frankly, many of you tell me you really do like to hear updates about how things are going at home with my wife and her ongoing battle with cancer and significant mobility challenges. Can't tell you what it was, and this is at her request. So obviously she is driving the bus on the information that does or does not go out. I can tell you this. She had a breakthrough on Friday that it, I'm a grown ass man, y'all. And I spent the majority of the day fighting back tears because it was just so powerful and meaningful and representative of the effort she has put in to win the wars on those two fronts. So, oh boy, I tell you, pretty, pretty, pretty happy here. All right, we're going to kick off the episode with Sam Oddy, O-D-D-Y, at Penguin Snake F1. I think I'm going to try and start reading more of your social media handles where possible, just because they're endlessly amusing. Sam asks, do you think there's any chance Scott Dixon will not win the championship? Seems pretty likely with his lead. Right with you, Sam. For Scott Dixon to fail to become a six-time IndyCar champion, he would have to have a monstrous meltdown in terms of talent to start making crazy mistakes. We would have to have his pit crew all of a sudden go from being one or two or three of the best on pit lane to uh, just an episode of the Three Stooges with errors and all kinds of silliness. Or we'd have to have reliability problems, whether it's on the motor front, mechanical breakages, electronic issues, there would have to be some really serious what-in-the-world-is-going-on type things to take place over the final five races for Dixon to lose the race, lose the championship. All that said, he's got roughly 100 points over Joseph Newgarden, so that's a, a pretty darn comfortable lead. Joseph Newgarden's pretty good at driving them race cars. <laughs> Our reigning two-time defending 
IndyCar Series champ, there's no doubt that if there's a guy who can chase down Dixon over, I'd say, probably anybody else in the series, he's the guy. And so this is what makes me say, yeah, okay, to your point, Dixon, you, you, you should start getting the celebration invitations ready. You don't necessarily print them, but you at least start getting them ready. But stranger things have happened. I mean, if we look back, what, five years or so with Juan Montoya looking like he was on the way to a second IndyCar title and Dixon rallied like crazy, ended up winning on a tie. Uh, championship tie at the double point season finale. We won't have double points this year at St. Petersburg. That's been taken away since we've had a really weird shuffled calendar. But yeah, hard for Newgarden. Yeah, he's 96 points back. As long as Dixon finishes there, thereabouts of Joseph. Uh, I mean, Joseph could go on a five race winning streak. And as long as Dixon is right behind him, really close. There's not enough points on offer, and there's not a big enough gap between first and second, say even third, fourth place in the points, to allow Joseph to overcome those 96 points and get into the lead. So Dixon's going to have to crash, have things fail, have things go extremely wrong for this title to be handed off to someone else. Steven Killsdonk. Hey, Steven. Been a little while, man. Thanks for sending this in. Said, hey, Marshall, best wishes to you and your wife. I attended the Gateway event, watching timing and scoring on my phone. I was just wondering, what can IndyCar do to improve the racing? Got everyone out there with the same cars, virtually the same horsepower, lapping within tenths of a second of one another. another. I'm just stumbling this morning. I call this my unpolished turd. For those who don't know, I just keep in all my mistakes. I also don't have time to edit them out this morning. I uh, said so they're unable to get within a half second of each other because of turbulence. The drivers, uh, naming a wide variety of them, act like there's a magic formula of grip and horsepower that must be nailed perfectly in order to generate a good race. But the previous aero kits uh, on the car is made for more passing. How can this kit be reworked to give the trailing car a bigger toe? He says, should we go to the old Hanford device route and hang a barn door off the rear wing? I hope not, Stephen. You raise a, a really good point here about things are often spoken of, as you mentioned, nailing. There's some really black art formula of everything, and if you strike that perfect formula, then all of a sudden that perfection in aero settings, tire degradation, and so on, that elusive thing, and the pursuit of it, that's the thing that could maybe bring great oval racing back. I would hope it. we don't have to be that precise. Can share, it's not gateway, and hopefully the story will go up before you hear this, but IndyCar right now is planning on doing a, I believe it's a one-day test at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I've heard it is October 29th. 28th or 29th, following the St. Petersburg season finale. Meant to bring, I've heard it, six cars, uh, three from Honda, three from Chevy, and they're going to run around 
the Indianapolis Motor Speedway trying various aero configurations to come up with something that will promote more passing. I've heard filling the hole in the floors is one thing they're going to try, and I'm sure there's a, a whole raft of other things you're going to ask those six drivers to evaluate. Tires, certainly a big area we should visit on for just a moment. This is a tricky thing. It really is. I don't know if you, many of you follow Formula One, but a couple years ago, seemingly the biggest topic every weekend and lots of stories are written about Pirelli and their tires and how bad they were either not falling off fast enough or falling off way too fast. They degraded ridiculously fast or seemingly not at all. And the quality of the racing suffered. Drivers could or couldn't pass, etc. Firestone has done a traditionally awesome job in IndyCar. They have been the, the standard bearers for so, so long. It's not like you want tires that degrade really, really rapidly and, you know, almost like flipping a switch on the ovals just due to the fears and danger and speeds and craziness involved on ovals. You don't want cars that are seemingly impossible to drive because the degradation happens so quickly. But there is certainly something here to look at, Stephen, and it's the weird thing of, Hey, Firestone, could you do a slightly worse job with your tires, maybe? Whether it's Indy, whether it is Worldwide Technology Raceway, Gateway in St. Louis, Iowa, wherever. Uh, We haven't seen a lot of tires becoming the big variable halfway through a stint, three-quarters of the way through a stint. So to close here on this, Stephen... No doubt there absolutely needs to be some aerodynamic exploration, especially with the new aero screen, monkeying with uh, the ability for cars to follow closely and then pass. There is indeed more turbulence. The thing we went away from starting in 2018 with the new universal aero kit is getting away of the rear wheel guards, the Kardashians, something that I think most folks agreed made the cars just about as ugly as they've ever been. They also, for those who don't know, despite being rather ineffective at guarding the rear wheels in a serious crash, they did have one significant benefit, and that is they cleaned up the air coming off of the back of the car. They reduced drag, they reduced buffeting and turbulence, and it made for easier passing. Increased downforce on ovals as well is something that I continue to hear a lot of drivers say. If we had a little bit more, we could try more things, try more passes, be a little bit more daring, knowing we're not on such a uh, downforce knife edge that if anything goes wrong, we're going to lose the car and chuck it into the wall. So, yeah, I don't foresee the Kardashians coming back, so that's going to remain an issue just in aerodynamic cleanliness coming off the car, giving their trailing cars cleaner air to drive through, more stability when they try to pass. But there's certainly a lot of aerodynamic 
configuration exploration that needs to be done here at this Indy test. Maybe, hopefully, at some of the shorter ovals, too. There's definitely a component here that I'm hoping Firestone can help with. Can't really look to have a lot more oval races, if any more ovals, Stephen, when we get to next year, where folks are just stuck behind one another and can't go forward. That's not why folks watch motor racing, to watch a procession. Could a Hanford device do it? Absolutely. But I don't know if we want to go that cartoonish for a solution. Let's go to our man Jeremiah Morell. says, beyond the logistics we can think of with teams needing to arrive at a track, what kind of other items has Mid-Ohio and IndyCar had to juggle uh, getting race in the calendar for a third scheduled date? He says, from the outside looking in, I see vendors, staff, parking, competition, operations, and safety, and team organization. Support series schedules, TV window, and of course, impatient fans. He says, hashtag me personally. There's an incredible number of moving pieces able to, to be able to pull off an event. Well, you pretty much named it all, all the answers in your question here in terms of things that they had to do where there was a lot of frustration, nothing to do with the promoters or the series or whatever. It's just simply Ohio's governor, Mike DeWine, reserving the sole approval or denial um, right for events like this. And so when you, (laughs) I'm somewhat familiar, Jeremiah, with the frustrations. There are some racing series, there are even a couple of racing teams that are set up in such a way where if you want answers on something, if you want to talk to somebody, everything funnels upwards to one person. And if you can't get that person on the phone, if you can't peek your head into their office or their trailer or whatever, if you can't get that person, the entire thing doesn't function. And so in those kind of power structures, you end up doing a lot of waiting, my friend, uh, which I know you have done and your wife and, uh, so I'm hoping you guys are enjoying Mid Ohio right now. So, yeah, everything you've mentioned, I I heard from vendors. Didn't hear from staff, but I had drivers, uh, team owners, um, <laughs> fans, a lot of people asking constantly, "What do you know? What have you heard?" And I'm sure that my man Robin Miller and David Malsher and plenty of other reporters who, in theory, would be the ones in the know. We're getting the same questions, and this was often in the absence of news from the series and promoter, so they're waiting for information from the governor and having to go on what their office is saying might happen in terms of reviewing the plan and then approving it. So I'll just tell you that patience, boy, tested beyond any measure that you would want, and Obviously, we're glad the Governor DeWine gave this the green light, but yeah, the uh, the old structure in which decisions were being made, uh, all being held in one person's hand, that is what made this such a late call and I think led to so much frustration. So yeah, good on everybody for making it happen. And hey, in two weeks' time... <laughs> Hopefully they get to do it again with the IMSA race there. And yes, they do indeed need approval for that one as well. 
Uh, let's go to Acer Rubrum with, I think, uh, if I were to read that backward, that would be, yeah, uh, at Acer Rubrum on Twitter. Asks, do you think IndyCar will be reaching out to Claire Williams? Referring to the Williams Formula One team being sold, Claire Williams, daughter of team founder Frank Williams, who has run the team for the last handful of years, asks, do you think there's any chance she may be interested in IndyCar since she's been around open wheel racing her entire life? Closes by saying, hashtag me personally, I think it'd be great for the sport. I am joining you in this sentiment. Absolutely. I really wish Claire's move to the front of the Williams organization over the last years, while it remained in their hands, had been a more successful venture. I know she has taken nonstop criticism, been knocked by a pretty brutal and sexist mindset or segment of the population questioning her as a woman in a leadership role and all this kind of just sheer garbage and idiocy that makes me hate those people. I would love to see Claire have a fresh start, fresh chance with the team and then frankly give us the opportunity to see all of her skills while not having to constantly save the business, uh, constantly work through hiring, firing a variety of technical directors and designers and so on, trying to be competitive in F1 with one of the smallest budgets, if not the smallest budget in the series. Yeah, so I would love to see it. I just can't think of any pathway for that to happen and it's not as if she doesn't possess the skills to be considered i just don't know of both indycar teams that would say hey we want and need a new team manager uh managing director or ceo whatever you want to call it and we're going to reach out to her uh having zero indycar experience uh just racing side, business side, all those things. I also don't know if she would have any interest. Uh, If you had a chance to watch the Williams, I don't remember the exact name, but the Williams F1 documentary. I know uh, I watched it on Netflix uh, probably a year or two ago. (sighs) Claire, (laughs) she, she has all, all the looks of a woman who probably wants to take at least a year, uh, uh, maybe two to just purge all the nastiness and just the, the really tough times and the, the hardships from her system. I know that while my challenges were nothing like hers and a thousand percent smaller, I needed when I quote retired from IndyCar at the end of the 2001 season, having worked for about 15 years straight in the sport. Uh, I needed to take some time away, uh, having just been completely burned out. And this is whatever role I was doing was working in on the team side. I, it just, 
I'd had enough and I wasn't having fun anymore. I wasn't happy. The thing that I loved more than anything felt like a burden. And looking at Claire in recent years, I have seen the same thing. She's been duty bound. Obviously it's the family team. And so she's going to run it, protect it and do all those things. But she just has a look of someone who, boy, let, let's talk in a year or two. And if she did have an interest in coming over here and trying to do something, I'd really hope a team would have serious conversations with her because, uh, yeah, I don't know if, if she got all the respect she was due for what she was able to achieve. And women running racing teams over here, we don't get enough of that. Obviously, Steph Carlin helps to run uh, the Carlin Racing Team, and there's Michael Shank's wife. She is centrally involved in the business as well. We just don't have a lot of frontline. She is in charge. Actually, I shouldn't say don't have many. We don't have any. She is in charge, women running IndyCar teams, so I'd love to see it. Uh, Thomas Ayrton, hey, man says, I've made a few data dashboards based on IndyCar event summaries. says, they are always quite a few pit safety infractions on those summaries, but not penalties. And many of them result in post-race fines. Thomas asks, what generally are these infractions and what are amounts of these fines? You get some odd ones, whether it is Failing to put down a, a visor, say the refueler, that's one that I haven't looked and done the numbers, but it seems like that's a been a pretty consistent one over the years, Thomas, just for the sake of safety, while holding a device that is putting in highly flammable liquid into the vehicle. Refuelers don't always remember to push down their visor, and their helmet, and so that's an infraction. Uh, it could be in a, an equipment infraction of having stuff left out or put out that shouldn't. Usually if you have drivers running over things, there will be some sort of pit infraction. But depending upon how that happened, uh, that could be more of a, a post-race fine than an in-race penalty. Uh, you could have the too many people over the wall. That doesn't really happen anymore, but you still have... It's just a lot of little improper things that can be done. And they fall under that blanket of pit safety. Uh, you also realize that in the way that, as our man Ari Leyendijk told us during his visit for this week's guest episode of the Week in IndyCar, he and I share the same mindset, Ari being a race steward. I know that my preference for officiating in motor racing is to have the bare minimum of penalties applied during the race that affect the outcome of the race. So if there's an opportunity to say, yeah, you did something wrong and you certainly clearly violated something in the rule book, but I don't think it, it warrants ruining your race because of it. It's not that grand of an infraction a lot easier to just convert those into post-race fines. I've seen them in the $100, $500 range. 500 seems 
pretty common. The thousand dollar or more, not so much that I recall. I could be totally wrong, but I'm just having to go off of what I recall from recent years. So if we are using football or basketball parlance, it's more the the ticky tack fouls. The ones where you go, yeah, okay, it, you broke the rule. We got to call you on it, but we're not going to hammer you too heavily because of it. So the fines, Thomas, tend to follow that line of thinking. All right, where are we going next here? Jeremy Lorton says, hey, MP, any news on the LED panels coming back? Kidding! <laughs> Thanks, Jeremy. That's a good little laugh. He uh, says, with one... Pablo Montoya signing with Dragon Speed for Le Mans. Could that have any implications for Indy? I would imagine he brings some funding and his experience would be invaluable for a team in its infancy. Also says my best you and your lovely wife. Little quick, tiny, tiny rant. I love slash hate. I just find it amusing. These kinds of things. So... Sebastian Bourdais will be driving for the Risi Competizione Ferrari GT team at the 24 Hours of Le Mans next weekend. I love how some, and I'm not saying you, Jeremy, but there's just a subset of fans who see, hear, learn of such things and immediately go into the beautiful mind type deal. You can see all the equations and algebra and trigonometry and all the little red strings pinned, connecting all the everything, just running through their minds. Well, Sebastian's driving for the first time for Ferrari team at Le Mans. Ferrari has said they're interested. They're evaluating IndyCar. I wonder if this means Sebastian is actually part of the Ferrari IndyCar plans. And this is the first time, although this is driving for an IMSA team at the world's greatest endurance race that has nothing to do with IndyCar. And it's not a true full factory affiliated thing, but I wonder if there's some sort I love this stuff. I don't understand it, but I love it because I'm like, wow, the beautiful mind syndrome is amazing. But like Sebastian driving for Ferrari slash Risi Competizione at Le Mans in a one-off race, there are no links to anything other than the guy doing one race for that team at that event in terms of the future Ferrari, IndyCar, anything else. So it just takes me back to JPM signing for Dragon Speed, which, funnily enough, none of this means anything, but Dragon Speed team owner Elton Julian reached out uh, whenever it was and said, hey, got a vacancy for my uh, uh, for an LMP2 entry at Le Mans. You think JPM might be interested? I said, yeah. He said, well, you got his contact info? I said, yeah. It's cool to hear back a couple days later. They did the deal, and here we are. Um, so to... Go to the one part of the question here, Jeremy. You said, I would imagine he brings some funding. 100% not ever? No. Uh, Juan Montoya is a paid professional. 
He brings zero dollars to everything that he competes in. He gets paid uh, often very significant dollars. So, no, uh, he's paid, not paying. Um, where this is also, again, just kind of fun, beautiful mind stuff, JPM's driving for the most partiest of part-time IndyCar teams at Le Mans, but if we had to be really honest, we would say JPM's driving for a sports car team at Le Mans because Dragon Speed champions in sports cars, winner of some of sports car racing's biggest races, they've done what? three IndyCar races total in two years. So I'm not laughing and like against them or anything like that. I'm just saying this is a sports car team that has dabbled at best in IndyCar. So just a little just fun stuff here. They just needed a high quality guy for Lamar, Jeremy. There's nothing connected to anything related to IndyCar. Uh, obviously Dragon Speed would be on the grid in racing in IndyCar if they had the money to do so. They do not, so they aren't. Uh, Obviously, we hope that they find that money in the future, and if they were to do that and could offer JPM uh, a contract, would he consider it? Maybe. I don't know, but just, again, having a little fun here. Uh, I love this beautiful mind stuff. There's zero connectivity between JPM and, doing a one-off for Elton Julian and the fine folks there at Dragon Speed at Le Mans and anything else related to IndyCar. Hope that would change. Hope that they might have conversations about something next year. Hope they find money. Hope, 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 hope. But no, Uh, ain't nothing, man. Got nothing for you, man. Uh, Let's see. Where do we go next? We go to Richard Brown. Says with uh, at Blue Donut, by the way. On, and this comes in from Facebook. Uh, with more and more states legalizing gaming, uh, sports gambling, do you ever see IndyCar broadcasts embracing odds the way some NFL coverage happens to do so? Could be a better way to attract younger viewers? Question mark. That's a question where I possess extreme ignorance, Richard, and it's on the youth side. I would really struggle to foresee betting odds being incorporated into IndyCar events, just period. Uh, There'd have to be some significant money changing hands, welcoming uh, them into the broadcast or otherwise. But I would say the youth part is what really stands out to me as I joke somewhat Often, it's not so much of a joke, though. He even refers to himself this way. Our 70-year-old IndyCar reporting dynamo, Robin Miller, uh, lovingly refers to himself as a degenerate gambler. I have to admit that I am not totally aware, Richard, of betting and gambling being a youth-based thing. It could absolutely be that way. And again, I'm just ignorant and not knowing it, but at least with the way my mind works, I haven't really thought of, hey, if we were to incorporate gambling into the broadcasts and 
make gambling uh, more central, whatever you want to call it, in what we do, that could be a way to bring young folks, more young folks, into the fold. Again, I, I could be a thousand percent wrong, and if that's the case, well, that wouldn't be a surprise. That that happens rather often, but this is an area I think I just need to learn a little bit more about because I don't know if, if that jumps out to me as a way or as something that would really increase much of anything uh, in terms of viewership. So maybe some of you can fill in the education that is lacking from my brain and tell me about this. Uh, let's see. We're going to go to Jeff Bean. He says, hey, Marshall, can you comment on Ed Carpenter's season so far? He, says, he doesn't seem to be conquering the ovals like he used to. Is it the aero screen, too little testing, too much going on, being an owner or driver, or also says best wishes to you and your wife. Thank you, Jeff. Also love and appreciate the spelling of your first name, which as a very young and dumb boy, I thought was Geoff, G-E-O-F-F. I also was befuddled, I think at the age of maybe six or seven looking in the newspaper and uh, the hometown San Francisco Giants. I don't remember the the player's full name, but I do remember that his first name was spelled M-A-R-C and I could not figure out how to pronounce it for the life of me. So I had to ask, I think my grandmother and because I was just wanting to say Mars. M-A-R-C, Mars, and uh, I don't know if it was the first time she gave me that look of, oh, this guy's going to have a rough life, but uh, yeah, she just gave me that look, eyes kind of squinting a little bit at me, side glance, like, uh, are you, are you totally sure here, dummy? Uh, It's Mark, the C is pronounced like a K. And yeah, my, my brain processed it. I then felt dumb or more dumb than usual. So I just mentioned that Jeff, because we actually have, our names are similar. Uh, my middle name is Jefferson Jefferson. And I was called Jeff till I was, I think my early twenties. Uh, most people <coughs> knew me as Jeff, not Marshall, which is my first name. So there you go. A bunch of really meaningless things that have nothing to do with your question, but hey, that's how I do my show. I am truly looking forward to gaining insights on this question. Spoke with Ed Carpenter earlier this week, did broach this subject, and he wasn't really keen to crack open the door. Said, without a doubt, he's coming back next year. Super happy about that. Said this has been a crazy year. I said it feels like almost like an aberration, Ed. Not that you would ignore thorough investigations into what didn't work for you and why, but part of me thinks this year was so bad and so strange that you almost have to just put it out of your mind, start fresh next year, working from the belief that there's no way this could happen again. And he said, yeah, I hear you. This is, I, I, I have never, could have never predicted 
something like this would have happened. But he also said, I am not going to dismiss the heavy, heavy dive to try and find whatever trends we can where we went wrong. There's obviously, Jeff, not a single thing that contributed to frequent lack of competitiveness on ovals in uh, Ed's number 20 Chevrolet. We know that he can drive. (laughs) We know that in a car capable of going to the front, he goes to the front, starts at the front, and is a threat for victory. No question, period, end of conversation. The thing that is weird, though, is his young teammate, rookie Renus VK, who has a modest amount of oval experience, has, by and large, been the team's leader on ovals, been the one running up front. Uh, and that's just no nothing negative about Renus, just odd. Why and how is this kid truly a kid who's learning <laughs> to race Indy cars on an oval for the first time so drastically outperforming the veteran team owner who is IndyCar's acknowledged oval specialist. It's another thing that they have to look at and figure out. Not only did we have a rough year on ovals in our car, barring that fifth place start to the season, but why did we have such a rough run through the ovals when our teammate showed, hey, actually at least one of the two cars here is certainly capable of doing some pretty impressive things so i don't have the answer jeff ed didn't want to answer when i was trying to get some insights there just means that i need to keep asking and ask some folks not named ed carpenter let's go to tim riley marshall hoping your wife are doing well thanks man we got a lot of well wishes this week thank you so much for that everyone seriously says, I truly am happy to hear each week uh, how she's doing and how she's continuing to improve. So I have a question that I've been meaning to ask for a while now. I've noticed some sort of sticker with the outline of the state of Indiana on some of the cars near where the aero screen connects to the body of the chassis just behind the driver. However, I've never been able to get a good view of it during any of the broadcasts. Do you have any idea and uh, what this sticker happens to be? I do, and I love this question, Tim. Thanks for asking it, because it's this little minutiae stuff that's fun to dive into. It is a, I don't know what to call it, little gear-like logo uh, that's yellow, I think, and uh, has a cutout in the middle for uh, the shape of the state of Indiana. So whatever it sits on, the color of the arrow screen comes through to make the color of the state and has a little tagline next to it that says, Indiana, a state that works. So I'm not sure about the the statement. It's kind of funny. Maybe it implies Indiana has you know, a little bit of a, a working chip on its shoulder, like, yeah, those idiots next to us or above us or below us, psh, they don't really work, but we do. I couldn't argue with that either. I just, I love it. So it's a little, little spicy, little, little, little smoky. This, as I was told quite a while ago, and I think by and large forgot about Tim, uh, the state of Indiana helped to subsidize some of the aero screen costs 
And this is all part of a just statewide investing in local businesses, local properties, also in the name of safety and improvement and whatnot. So can't say that there's one single reason why the state of Indiana was uh, jumping in to help defray costs. But yes, indeed, the state of Indiana did become a contributor to the, whether it's investment costs, I'm sorry, the uh, production costs, development costs, manufacturing costs, um, they have helped to offset things a little bit, bring down the price on the aero screens, which I believe something, I forget, I think 60 grand a piece, something like that. So yeah, that's the reason why, my man. Uh, Where else are we going? And how much time do we have left here? All right, we got a little over a half an hour. Cool. Not a bad thing. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay. Uh, Andrew Miller says, any new rumors on Ferrari's participation in IndyCar? Also says, was the lack of any future engine news slash partner announcement at the Indy 500 a bad sign? Would not say it was a bad sign, Andrew. Not at all. In a normal year, non-COVID year, might think of it in those terms as possibly being a negative, but... I don't perceive that to be the case at all. I might have read the piece that I did with Jay Fry earlier this week. This was the first question about engine rules, what they're going to do, what they're going to roll out for 2022, which is when the new 2.4 liter twin turbo V6s are meant to be implemented. Also know that IndyCar has said they want to introduce a kinetic energy recovery system, a hybrid make the motors hybrid electric that was meant to happen in 2022 as well. So behind the scenes, I don't know if I've spelled this out as clearly in print. So maybe this is a little kernel of meaningless stuff, whatever on the podcast, but we have two engine manufacturers, Chevy and Honda and one side. It's how's this? I don't have to say who, who's on which side. If you've read what I've written recently, uh, as well, you'll know the answers to that, but there's two sides. They have highly uh, diverging opinions on how IndyCar should approach 2022. One is pushing incredibly hard to have engine and CURS system come together as a single package introduced in 2022. The other is 1,000% not and saying, hey, let's do the motor first, and then we will would really love a staggered introduction of the electrified part to follow, I don't know when, a year later, two years later, whatever the timeline is, but after. Definitely, though, do not make us do both at the same time. That is why, Andrew, we have not had any final confirmations as to what will happen in 2022. In the interview with Jay, mentioned that he expects to have all this decided, buttoned up, and hopefully ready to announce at the end of the month and or at the Indy Harvest Grand Prix, which uh, takes place October 2nd and 3rd. So what do you do there, Andrew? What do you do if you've got Chevy on one side, Honda on the other, one brand says... I'm telling you, if you don't do both at the same time on the timeline that you previously announced, we're going to have serious problems. 
And then the other side saying, if you do what you said you're going to do on the timeline, you said you're going to do it. We're going to have serious problems. I can tell you from general life experience, which many of you probably have the same experience in one situation, you have a demand that is additive. Hey, we want you to do both. And we're really hardcore about that. The other side is negative. Uh, It is reductive. We don't want you to do both. We want you to do one and then the other one later. If you're having to weigh the demands of both and figure out how you might be hurt the most based on your decision, it's easier to acquiesce to the one saying, you better not do both at the same time because that's something that could potentially lead that manufacturer to go away. Not saying the other brand would just happily stay if their demands weren't met, but it's easier to say, we're going to do, we're going to give you half of what you want compared to none of what you want. And going forward with, Engine plus curs would give one brand none of what it wants. And going with just the combustion engine first would at least give both sides half of what they want. So my guess here, Andrew, guess, total guess. Don't put any odds on this for sure. This is not a betting item. But my guess is we are going to hear that the uh, 2.4 liter twin turbo V6 will be coming in 2022 and maybe the curves the year after, but purely a guess, not based on any inside info that I'm drawing that from Uh Ferrari, you know, they say it interests them, yada, yada, yada. As I've said all along, I do not expect anything to happen. I will be pleasantly surprised if it does, but Considering the problems they're having in Formula One right now, lack of competitiveness there, plus the upcoming budget cap, plus the rule changes that are following the year after, strikes me a bit like McLaren, frankly, where we know that they did the 2017 Indy 500 with a partner deal with Andretti. We're asked constantly, hey, are you going to come to IndyCar? Are you going to come to IndyCar? And they said, brutally honest, we got our own crap to get right first in F1 before we consider a a real full-time entry in IndyCar. I know that when Ferrari mentioned that they were thinking of coming here and they're going to evaluate, continue to say they're evaluating. This is coming off of a point where Formula One season had not tanked for them. Things were in a far more positive place have heard almost nothing about the original premise for them saying they wanted to look here uh, that was originally stated, Andrew. It's another thing that, again, just little nuances to to pick out. The whole premise for wanting to do IndyCar was, hey, this budget cap is going to force us to make a lot of folks redundant, get rid of a lot of employees. Italian law doesn't allow you to just do that, apparently. Again, I'm taking their word on it. So we're going to have to find a place to put these 
redundant F1 employees, and IndyCar is one of two places we're considering, along with the FI World Endurance Championship. Made total sense as to why they would then need to look at another championship to keep their employees employed. I haven't heard that cited on any instance, not once, not anything since then. It was positioned as that up front, never again mentioned. So not saying it was wrong or false in the beginning. I just do wonder that if that's the driver behind this whole thing, does doesn't seem like something just to be mentioned once and never be brought up again. So at least for what I've read, uh, if it's been mentioned in whatever report or quotes or comments somewhere and I've missed it, then that's on me. So no new rumors. Still can't see how they would come and do this, knowing that they continue to say that they would want to have a more customized vehicle to play with and race with. Know that IndyCar is talking to them about engine supply, and at least some of the more recent quotes have come back from Ferrari on aero chassis freedoms, which again I don't I'm not fully grasping there how that might work or fit. So yeah, uh, some folks say no news is good news. I'd say no news is about right here, and I wouldn't say it's good or bad. I'd just say I have crazy low expectations, Andrew, for Ferrari uh, to come join IndyCar, really crossing all fingers and toes that they would, but I can't make sense of it. Haven't every time this question comes up. I uh, continue to search for ways to tell you, all right, now I see how it makes sense. Uh, I can't so far. Let's see. <sighs> got a couple other questions here one from our pal stitch turner also elite flight from reddit on uh, chassis regulations engine regulations and so hopefully i covered off your questions here uh, with the ones that were just provided for andrew Uh, tony moss says mp i'm behind on a few podcasts but has anyone asked about general motors moving their corvette engineers to their new uh, or newish electrical vehicle automated vehicle division says thoughts on uh, what that means long-term for Chevy and IndyCar. Is it inevitable that we go electric or does IndyCar seek any manufacturer uh, that keeps any semblance of the quote fast and loud formula says, are we holding on to a fleeting hope closest by saying for hashtag me personally, the official hashtag of our podcast. Don't think I can stomach the flaccid whir of all electrical racing. As long as Jay Fry is in charge of IndyCar, Tony, we're going to have this fast and loud formula. A little more fast than loud, admittedly, but there's nothing within the soul or spirit or prayer life of uh, Mr. Fry that involves a timeline for IndyCar to go all electric. I know that to be true. I know it to be a fact. The volume of conversations he and I have on things technical and future are many. A lot of that stuff never sees print. I'm not betraying his confidences by saying zero plans for the turbocharged engines to be phased out at any point to be replaced by electric motors. If we're talking... 
five years from now, nine years, 12 years, I don't know, and the entire automotive industry is all electric or the vast majority of the auto industry is all electric, naturally that plan would change. And that's just simply, as you know, Tony, and as many of you know, while IndyCar tries to be a little bit bold and maverick-like in its decisions on engine formulas and overall formulas to differentiate itself from whatever else might be racing in the USA, we are indeed heavily driven by two auto manufacturers right now. Hopefully there will be more coming in, but the needs of the manufacturers from a marketing standpoint is indeed something that IndyCar cannot ignore. So it's all pointing to nothing from Chevy, nothing from Honda is saying IndyCar go away from motor uh, combustion motors, go to electric motors. Not at all. If that were to change, Tony, Jay Fry would have to change his outlook. And by the way, I'm looking to my right and our cat's, Rocky and Rosie are engaged in their latest groom bite fest. It's a really bizarre thing. Um, No plans, my man, but the manufacturers will dictate IndyCar's shift if and when there's a shift to electrical propulsion compared to combustion propulsion, and that's just a fact. We could say... Truthfully, IndyCar has been among the latest adopters to this, and they would probably be in a better place if they had decided to do this a little bit earlier in terms of gaining more manufacturer interest. Just look at what's being sold, my man, uh, when you head to your local dealerships. As that tide starts to shift, wouldn't be a surprise to put IndyCar on the clock to shift as well a couple years later. Indy Bauer, hey, MP, hope you and your wife are doing well and you continue to be in my prayers. Thank you, Andy. This question out of left field. Matthew Brabham was a beast on the lower rungs of the road to Indy until he got to Indy Lights, where he did okay in an outdated chassis that didn't suit his driving style. He says outside of his one-off the Indy 500, he's never gotten a sniff at IndyCar. If he'd come along a couple years later, would the new Indy Lights chassis have better illustrated his talents? Oh, what a great question. Or was he just a big fish in a small pond that was exposed when he got the lights? Says the uh, souvenir hat from his Indy 500 effort still sits on my dashboard, so I often wonder what might have been with him. All well spotted, Andy. He was a beast uh, on the way to winning the Pro Mazda Championship. Expected that to convert into really highly competitive, if not title winning, Indy Lights effort. And yeah, having observed that season, it wasn't as great as it could have been. And there certainly was a little bit loss of shine on his his name as a result of that. Gotta tell you, it happened long enough ago where my brain's a little bit foggy at remembering the minutiae as to why it wasn't as good as it should have been. Also a time where we really started to see the let's give a young guy a shot thing in IndyCar dialed down to a a troublingly low uh, desire. And so I think you're you're well well 
spotted here, Andy, in the timing of Maddie not excelling in Indy Lights, coinciding with just a, a stronger shift in IndyCar to, well, unless you're really doing outrageously impressive things on the road to Indy and winning Indy Lights and just kicking everybody's behind really in, a, in an emphatic way, and we're going to go with a veteran. We're probably not going to invest the time in waiting for you to figure stuff out. And I'd say it's still true today. If you demonstrate in Indy Lights that you haven't gotten as far as you should and you finish the season in third or fourth or whatever, and despite previous success on the road to Indy, championships maybe even as well. If you give t- most team owners the the suggestion that there's still a f- sizable amount of things you need to work out, figure out, and improve before you would become a very effective IndyCar driver instead of getting all those things done in Indy Lights and being a turnkey ready person in your rookie year or as much as you can be, you're not going to get a nod. So I think that hint or suggestion was put forth, and I think that affected Maddie's chances immediately. I do also know I think that kid, given an opportunity, would be a rocket. And there are others in and around IndyCar who have massive belief in Maddie and would really hope to see things change. I just can't see how they would at this late stage, Andy. It's been so many years since he was a regular presence in open wheel. I would put good money on the fact that most team owners, while they haven't truly forgotten who he is, they've forgotten about him. Just not even a thought, not even on the radar. So, yeah, uh, a genuine bummer because uh, I thought that kid was going to have an epic IndyCar career coming out of Pro Mazda. Uh, Ron Thompson. Hey, Ron. At Ron Thompson 01. Any idea how long the Barrichello family will stay in the road to Indy lower levels, or will they be heading to Europe? Uh, texted with Rubens after his son, Eduardo won his very first USF 2000 race. And it's just so happy for him seeing the pride, just the absolute pride on his face. I am unaware of plans to uh, ship doo-doo east for F1 open wheel ladder. I probably need to ask Rubens directly, but he's been very committed to having his son train here in the States so far. They live in Florida, right? So they've been in Florida for a little while now, uh, Miami-ish area, I believe. And having seen Rubens at the track a couple times last year with with his son at events where uh, Eduardo was racing, he just had the look of the happiest racing dad you could imagine. Like a real family, like, this is so cool. I get to go to the tracks with my son and be his coach and best friend and, you know, whatever it is, but I get to come and do this with him and for him. And knowing that they live in the States, 
This has been a kind of a family thing that they can do easily. Not aware, nor do I have any expectations, Ron, that this would turn into a European adventure. I would imagine if Dudu starts tearing things up and winning championships and whatnot, and if he expresses an interest to become a Formula One driver uh, ASAP, then that might become a thing. But all indicators I've seen and heard of suggest that they're going to be in the road to Indy. And uh, hopefully we'll see him in IndyCar before too long. So let's go to the last couple of questions here. Got uh, a little under 15 minutes left. Uh, Ed Joris. Hey, Ed, you send in a lot of questions, and I don't get to a lot of them. So I don't know if an apology is in order, but uh, let's get to this one. It says, in race one at Gateway, Simon Pagino lost the ability to shift without lifting after his lap one collision. And I wonder what could be physically damaged to cause that. Uh, how is shift without lift? Uh, the, all, the acronym used for that, by the way, is SWOL, S-W-O-L, shift without lift. Uh, that's at least what I seem to recall, unless they've changed it since I retired. Uh, how is shift without lift on an IndyCar different from rev matching on a streetcar? says, I'm pretty sure rev matching on streetcars is all electronic. Is there something mechanical in IndyCar system, uh, in an IndyCar system that is legacy from days gone by when electronic rev matching was not available? Um, This is exactly what was affected in the crash. So the electronic rev cut uh, to allow that, uh, call it seamless shifting using the good old flappity flap paddles So in the crash, the, as I recall hearing over the radio, I believe Penske's Kyle Moyer mentioned that the gear potentiometer uh, was damaged. Uh, The back of Pagano's car was impacted at the back of the car where the gearbox is. You do have the little electronic potentiometer that rotates with each shift and that not only puts the number on the dash that you see, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th gear, but that information is also fed uh, into the uh, into all the onboard computers. And gear position and what it's in uh, is just part of the uh, electronic formula while enabling the swall, the shift without lift. And so... The car basically didn't know what gear it was in after that crash. And so that piece of the information was lost from the swall capabilities. And so as a result, Simon could not just keep his foot down and upshift or downshift while braking uh, without having to blip the throttle and uh, cut revs as well. So with all that known, Ed... Uh, there was a need to do that, uh, call it manually. So, yeah, um, you're describing similar things on streetcars, but yeah, think of the thing that allows that to happen on a streetcar to have been broken and Simon having to go to a uh, back to old manual skills, all without a shift lever, funnily enough. Uh, Tim Peters, at Peters Tim 44 Who would be... The IndyCar driver, that would be the main character in the cake song, The Distance. Has someone 
uh, has to be someone with a little bit of a chip in their shoulder. Quoting the song, Reckless and Wild, they pour through the turns. Their prowess is potent and secretly stern. You mentioned, could that be willpower? 100% that'd be willpower. So, oh yeah, totally. He's not reckless. He's wild, though. Uh, He certainly pours, if not fires, through the turns. Prowess, potent. You know that uh, respect me MFers comment after (laughs) winning the Indy 500, that that would give a bit of a a reveal to uh, that mindset there being a little bit stern or harsh, uh, something along those lines. So the big ball of personality and emotions that is willpower is indeed the perfect, perfect person for the main character in a, uh, let's say, a new version of Cake's The Distance if a video were done. So I love it when y'all ask a question and answer it perfectly. I just have to be the monkey that reads it. Uh, Duncan Idaho 11 at Gorgon Ops underscore SSF. So do you work for Gorgon Ops in South San Francisco? I don't know. Uh, Could McLaren expand to three full-time cars next year? If so, what reality show style contest would you recommend to pick the lucky driver who competes, who wins, and where does French fry place? This hashtag me personally. I'm going with Takeshi's Castle. Uh, I have no idea what that final reference is, by the way, Duncan. Uh, I probably should, so I apologize there. You, 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 I tell you, I love how you have just naturally gravitated towards, uh, you know, reality show, Arrow McLaren SP, those things go hand in hand, right? They are kind of showy, aren't they? They're the flashy team. They're the ones with the bright sparkly suit at the party. And I love that, again, you've just, you've decided that there must be a reality show that accompanies a selection of a third driver. Uh, who would it be? I don't really know. Um, I love the idea of Sebastian Bourdais. Uh, that would be a pretty darn smart thing. It's almost like they have a race engineer there by the name of Craig Hampson who knows him a little bit. Um, who would be... I know you want the reality show here. Uh, I got a couple minutes left and I got to shut her down. So I don't know if I'm going to be that good on coming up with a whole reality show for this. Uh, is it who wins the spam? Is it the, Oh, the spatula. That's what it is. It's not the bachelor. It's the spatula. And I know that doesn't exactly spell out spam, but that's what it would have to be called. Duncan. Uh, and maybe I am getting a couple ideas, a little burst of uh, inspiration. Yeah, so the search for Aero McLaren SP's third driver would certainly be a reality show. It would definitely be called The Spatular. <sighs> Who would be on it? Connor Daly, even though I don't think he's going there, and even though I know Ed Carpenter wants him back, but naturally Connor has to be there. Uh, young, rugged, ginger, uh, an American and just hilarious as hell. I don't know if he has a girlfriend, so that's that's yet another area of my ignorance, but um, we assume that if it's going to be a reality show, it's going to be kind of flashy, and it's going to be shiny suit type approach, and 
you know, big FU glasses, sunglasses and whatnot. Uh, there'd have to be some sort of dating angle too, I guess. Like, uh, if, and who hands the winning driver on the spatula? Is it a rose? Is it a views, uh, electronic cigarette? <laughs> Is it a bag of mission foods, tortilla chips? I don't know. Uh, is it a bucket of random electronic components from Arrow? Again, these are things I haven't fully thought through yet, but they do have a number of sponsors. We should certainly consider all of those things. Maybe it's an electronic view cigarette made from Arrow's various electronic components that is tortilla chip flavored. Uh, I think we got one right there. I think that's the deal on the spatula here, Duncan. So since for reasons that make no sense and have nothing to do with anything, I'm kind of turning this into a dating bachelor type deal. We got to have daily. Um, trying to, I mean, so many drivers are married or have girlfriends. So I don't know if I can do this without just pretending that they aren't already committed to, uh, amazing folks. Uh, who else? I mean, no, I, man, I'm, I'm struggling here. Uh, James Davison. Oh my goodness. Right. Uh, motor racing's number one playboy. Uh, I believe he also gets more shots at the clinic than anyone else too. He is certainly on the spatula. Uh, I mean, he's just the default spatula, right? Um, who else though? Ferrucci. Oh my God. I mean, that guy is a, a living five foot six or whatever he is. Shiny suit with the big FU sunglasses. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And I'm not saying these three are going to be the drivers or would be the driver of the third car. And they are indeed trying to put together a third car and expect to have one at least part-time. Um, Duncan, I think we have the spatula. Three, it's just three drivers, right? And we don't need more than that because, you know, let's just be real here. Um, Connor Daly, holy cow, yes. Um, certainly James Davison and a, without doubt, Santino Ferrucci with the uh, Aero uh, manufactured Views e-cigarette that tastes like tortilla chips as the version of the rose being handed to them. Um, and then they become the third driver. I think we got a show. It's a bad show. It never makes it out of pilot season. It's probably never seen, but that's the best I could come up with. Uh, with two minutes to go before qualifying starts here for round one of the Honda Indy Toronto. Honda Indy Toronto. Where did that come from? I am so on crack. Uh, we're going to call it the Honda Indy 200 at Mid-Ohio. I'm leaving it in. This is my unpolished turd. I'm Marshall Pruitt. Uh, I'm staring at my cats, Rocky and Rosie, who are now sleeping and not fighting. My wife, hopefully, is getting some rest after just doing amazing stuff yesterday. Thanks for all the well wishes. Uh, those, I read a lot of them. I don't read a lot of them each week because I don't want to bore you, but I'm going to try and read more of them because you're, you take the time and 
I know it's my show and it, I call the stupid thing, the Marshall Pruitt podcast. So, duh, but I try not to make this show too much about me and what's going on at home. Um, but I just want to say thank you for sending in the constant well wishes. They do mean something. They, they do add upliftment when it's needed. And, uh, yeah, just thank you all for being so awesome. Hopefully you enjoy the rest of the weekend at the Honda Indy Toronto, mid Ohio. <laughs> uh, we got to say thank you to Cooper tires and the justice brothers, torontomotorsports.com and bell racing helmets, USA. We're done with shows on IndyCar for the week. We'll be back next week with, I would imagine more craziness about the doubleheader to cover off. Uh, is Scott Dixon the de facto champion by that point, or has he been absolutely challenged hard and suffered some set? Who knows? But I can't wait to talk about it here next week on the Week in IndyCar.